that doesn't make you fired up. You have no fire. Hey, by the way, did you notice we're a real church today? Look at this. This is legit, man. This thing was on sale. I didn't ever buy one before. It's on sale. I'm fired up about this podium. I feel like we really just arrived as a church. So, yeah, yeah. What a great day in the life of our fellowship. Um, before before we launch into uh, Acts chapter 16, you go and grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be uh, looking at a, you probably heard this language, a 50,000 foot view of the planting of the church at Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, looking down through the end of the chapter, verse 40. Uh, just a couple of things before we do that. Uh, they're not on the notes on the blog, and I want to say these because they're very, I think they're very important. Uh, one, I think it's altogether fitting that on March 3rd, which was Thursday, we finished out our 13th full year as a church. And so we have now entered year 14. Uh, so it's fitting that as we're entering year 14, that we're also commissioning a new campus to make room for what the Lord is doing in our fellowship to make room for growth. And what a great and awesome thing that is. Think about that. 13 years is a long time. Uh, you may not realize this or not, but we are among five fellowships who've had the same pastors for over 10 years. Our town chews up pastors and spits them out. And, uh, and, and you're in a select group of people who've had the same leadership for over 10 years. And, and that's, a, uh, uh, that's a neat thing. And so it's just kind of cool. Second thing I want to say to you is introductory matters. And the Lord just put this on my heart. Um, and I'm going to trust it's from the Lord. And I want to say this because I think it's vital. There are a lot of folks who serve and work really hard here. So this isn't to exclude anybody. But these two, the Lord put on my mind. And, and I think it's very fitting that we say something here. There are two women who've borne the weight of kingdom work sitting here this morning. Jennifer Jolly and Jenny Long. Um, you ladies have borne the scars of being sheep in the midst of wolves. And you've borne those scars with dignity and grace. And you are God's grace to us. You've borne the burden of ministry in all seasons of life with children in tow. You've drugged them, kicking, screaming, spitting up. And not one time have you bowed out of working. And never a hint of complaint. And that's a testament to your strength. And it's a testament to God's grace that you are to myself and, and Emmett. Uh, any who would seek to imitate you would do well. As Lecrae says, uh, thank God my rib's the best part of me. And so uh, to a degree, this is happening today because of you ladies. So thank you. Where are you at, Jenny? Are you working? There you are. Thank you, ladies. You guys rock. Amen. Lessons from the planting of the church at Philippi. Acts chapter 16 Verse 6 to 10. Now, I want to say this. It's going to be really hard to do today. And the reason it's going to be hard to do is because I'm not exegeting this. I'm going to stay at the 50,000 foot view. And, uh, and just draw some lessons from the text. Now, after Easter, we're going to be launching into a year and a half long study in the book of Acts. And so um, I'm fired up about that. And so I'm not going to be doing today what I'm going to be doing when we get to this passage a year from now. All right. And so we're going to 50,000 foot view it. We're going to look at some lessons at the planting of the church at Philippi. Now, a couple things introductory. Like I've already said two things introductory, but let me do two more introductory or maybe five or ten. Let's just see where we go. One. 
God expands the kingdom through planting churches. The Great Commission is a mandate to disciple the nations. Okay? The only way you disciple nations is preaching the gospel. And the gospel does some amazing things. It saves sinners and gathers them into communities who do the Great Commission and observe the sacraments that Jesus taught us to observe. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are called churches. Okay? The planting of churches, the multiplying of churches is how strategically God intends to disciple the nations. Okay? So when we look at the church at Philippi, it just makes sense that it's there because that's what the gospel does. And so we're looking at lessons from a church planted by apostles and pastors and servants because that's what the gospel accomplishes. So Three Rivers, this isn't going to be the only campus and this there's more to come as God would grace us with the leadership. There are other churches. Seth is going to be planting with his team in Cartersville. Um, we're going to commission them in December of this year and they hopefully will launch in Easter of 2017. And as God gifts more men who say, hey, I desire this noble task of shepherding the people of God, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, and you test outright because not everybody can plant a church. You, you got to work hard. You got to make a plan, and and you make a plan and work that plan. And you you have the right gift set. You can plan a church. Remember, we say every disciple a church planter, right? And so, and so as God gifts and graces more, we will assess you, train you, and we'll launch you out by God's grace. And so we're looking at some lessons, fifty thousand foot view of the planting of the church at Philippi. And yes. This is where, you know, the book of Philippians, that letter was written to this church, okay, that we're reading about its planting. So here's what we're going to do. I have some broad categories, and they match with the passage. So I'll, I'll give you the category, I'll read the passage, and throw some observations out to you, particularly you guys um, who, are, who are going to be launching on the 20th, okay? I want you guys to hear this. And for for the rest of us here at the Unity Campus, I want you to hear this because there's some incredible lessons. And I'll draw on some stories um, from our past that will hopefully help you out a little bit. First broad category, verse 6 to 10. Jesus is sovereign over when and where his church gets planted. Jesus is sovereign over when and where his church gets planted. Take a look verse 6 to 10. Now, what has just happened, um, at this point you got Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy. Luke joins somewhere down around uh, verse 10. This is an interesting thing when you're reading Acts. Acts shifts in between we and them. They and we. Luke is the author. And when it's we, right? You know what we is, right? That's That's like... Him, present, right, with them. And so there are times Luke joins. Luke has joined this party of Silas, Paul, and Timothy. And and they are moving in. And Paul has taken this young disciple who be his son in the faith, Timothy. And, and they have set out. And verse 6 picks up the story. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And having been forbidden, notice this, having been forbidden by the circumstances surrounding them, the bad guys? No. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, why would God prevent them from speaking the word? You read that passage and went, geez, how strategic is that, Lord? 
Why would you prevent them from preaching the word? But he did. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, if we're looking at a map, they're, they're, they're inching their way along the northern regions of, of Asia, modern-day Turkey. And he funnels them down to a coastal city. Troas is on the coast. By the way, God is the ultimate strategician. He just made a word. God is a strategy-working God. This is why we teach planters to make a prospectus and work them through a, a process. God, who made the flagellar motor, doesn't willy-nilly plant churches. It is, a, it is a lie and lazy to say we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit made the flagellar motor. And that sucker's intricate. Meaning, God uses good plans. Okay? Alright? So, they had a plan. But along the way, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, is not allowing them to execute the plan. He's superimposing a better plan. And they're funneling them along the northern regions of Asia until he gets them in this coastal city of Troas. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia, this is across the ocean. By the way, that's up in Asia. I mean, that's up in Europe. Philippi is going to be the first church planted on the continent of Europe. Alright? They're continuing to try to plant churches in Asia. And they're continuing to try to multiply the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit says, not, no, 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 right here. Because D-Day is about to happen. The gospel is about to invade Europe. This is the first church planted in Europe. And so he's funneling them over to this coastal city. And in the night as they're sleeping, Paul has a vision. It's a man over in Macedonia standing there urging him saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Awesome. Jesus is sovereign over when and where his church gets planted. Listen, it's vital to recognize that the Holy Spirit will repel some of our best laid plans and efforts. We make good plans. We strive for good plans. We pray. We seek His counsel. We seek the counsel of the Word. We seek the counsel of wise people. But recognize that plan is an open-handed plan and we trust Jesus to be sovereign over when and how it happens. Sometimes the Holy Spirit forms a blockade to our efforts and it's frustrating. But Holy Spirit blocks and repels because He has a really good plan. We should never fail to move forward and toward the vision due to being repelled or in fear of being repelled. We move in order to discover the way. The Holy Spirit will move us to the right place and the right time. And He will do this through His intervening and His leading, and our vision-inspired efforts to make Jesus' name great. Listen, kingdom work is not always nice, neat, and efficient. It's great when it is, but it's often not. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the efforts to find a place to launch this campus were multiple. 
In just about the time we think we had one, it would blow up. I kid you not, there were emails sent to the wrong Mitch by people we were seeking to meet in their place. And a month and a half later, we would find out that I realized I sent the email to the wrong Mitch. And in that meantime, we're wondering why they're silent, not replying back to us. We're not hearing anything. God is working over here in this area to bring it down to a better place. Listen, this is awesome. This story is about the best example of Acts 16, 6 to 10. You could, you could write efforts to get into a place, shut off. And you're like, geez, we're just trying to build the kingdom. Why won't this work? And I sometimes look at this and go, because the Holy Spirit would not allow it. He forbade it. Because His strategic in, 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 is greater than we can ever come up with. Because Jesus is sovereign over when and where His church gets planted. So we lay good plans, we work hard with good plans, we hold them with an open hand and trust the Lord to lead us in triumphal procession to spread the aroma of Christ wherever we go. And so God in His good grace wanted this over there at Chapel Hill United Methodist Church. I promise you that. It was not the only place. It was the last place. Not because it wasn't better, it's just because we're looking all over the place. Other churches, can we? We want to pay you! No! Like when people are turning down money, they need money. No! We want to give you money. No! Lord, you must be talking. We're trying. And God moving us in the right place at the right time. There's no doubt that this canvas needs to be right over there. And this is just how God works. You make good plans and trust the Holy Spirit to frustrate them. And by the way, there are lessons here on how to live life, y'all. You make your plan. Make a good plan. Work it and trust Jesus to shut things off and to open things up. Because that's how He works. A few little applications here. We are to always move in obedience to the Scripture and the vision of the Great Commission and trust the Lord to make that work in the right time. It's never wrong to move in the direction of the Great Commission. It is never wrong, never wrong, to move in the direction of discipling the nations and planting churches. Never wrong. We move in that direction because that's the command. Disciple the nations. I will build my church. Listen, Jesus is in charge of building the church, not us. This is why He often frustrates plans and stops things and forbids our best efforts. It's because He is building His church. And it's our job to be responsive. To have ears that hear, eyes that see, hands and feet quick to respond to His plans. It's not as though Paul and the team laid down when Jesus forbade them to go into the areas they thought they needed to go into. They just moved on to the next place and tried. They moved on to the next place and tried. Until the vision said, go here. Ah! And they went there. So we're to move in obedience. Always. Kingston Campus, always, always, always. Unity Campus, always, always, always move in obedience to the Scriptures and the vision of the Great Commission. Second little application, this requires initiative to move. Meaning you've got to do something. <laughs> you've got to attempt things. Their attempts failed. Did it stop them? No. So this requires initiative to move. In order to do what we try to do, you can never be stagnant. 
You can't just sit. It requires initiative. It requires faith to keep going. It requires the willingness to fail and not let that crush you. Let me throw a little staggeration on you. This is not a church plant. This is a campus. Church plant's a different animal. Okay? 85 to 90% of all church plants fail. It's just the way it is. And it can't crush you. It can't make you go, well, I guess we won't ever do that again. No. If that, was, if, that, if that were how Paul and this team responded when they tried to get in Phrygia and Galatia and the Holy Spirit forbade them, they would have sat down and said, well, I guess we just, let's go back to Jerusalem. No. Let's try the next town. Okay. Let's go. So because Jesus is building His church and things don't always work, we can't let failure crush us. We're going to try things internally. They won't work. It can't crush us. We keep moving. We keep moving in the direction of obeying the Scriptures and completing the Great Commission. God is going to require discernment and training in the Word to know the Lord's ways of dealing with His people. We've got to be in the manual. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to have ears that hear so we can obey Him. Notice verse 11 through 15. Broad categories. Our next broad category. Jesus will save unlikely people. When he establishes the community of the kingdom. Listen, Jesus is really good at saving unlikely people. This is verse 11 to 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage. Literally, the wind at our back. This is just, by the way, this is a side note. This is good. This is one I, I really can't, I, I gotta say this one. Gotta say this one. Because the Lord shut them off in other directions, when He made the way clear and they went, the wind was at their back. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. When you're walking in the way of the Spirit, it is not tiresome. (laughs) It's just not. You don't have to pound the door down. He opens it up for you. And you walk through. Because that's what He does. So they knew we need to go to Macedonia. So they set sail from Troas and the wind just happened to be at our backs and blew us across the ocean. It's like Jill in a silver chair. She got from Aslan's country into Narnia because he blew her with his breath. And she floated down. Those stories are there. You know, if you've been around here long enough, I'm a Narnia guy. He will blow it open and make it happen. Just obey. Just obey. But along the way, Jesus is going to save unlikely people. So setting self from trust, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. By the way, Thyatira's old ancient name is Lydia. She is named after her home city. A seller of purple goods. God likes to save Romans. There are people here that are born and raised here in the dark and Jesus wants to save them. And do great things with them. 
So this seller of purple fabric, named after her home city, was a worshiper of God. That was, she had, as a Gentile, become a worshiper of the Lord. She's following the ways of Judaism. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, I mean, she believed the gospel. They baptized her and her household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. Jesus is going to save unlikely people when he establishes the community of the kingdom. Don't overlook the easy to overlook. The reason they're gathered outside the city is because there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. Had to have ten. So this group of women, not enough men to actually have an official church or synagogue. Not a church yet. They gather. They're there to pray. And Paul, they go outside the city looking, hoping there's a place of prayer. And they get there and there's just this group of ladies. In that day, that would have been a group that most Jews would have overlooked. The Pharisaical prayer was, thank you that I'm not a slave or a woman or a Gentile. That's how Paul grew up. And he walks out there and there's this group of ladies. And rather than moving past them, they engage them. And what happens? The Lord opens her heart to hear the good news. Things to observe here. Don't. Overlook the easy to overlook. This is so incredible to hear Jenna say this. Wandering soul. Kind of after college, just kind of out there. It is okay to seek after those who are hungry. And I wrote this down. You said wandering. I'm thinking, you stole my word. Maybe that's the Lord. This is good. It's okay to seek after those who are hungry and wandering and God-fearing. As it is okay to seek after the hardened sinner who wants nothing to do with Jesus. I would argue that's Roman Floyd County. The wandering who, who has heard the name and not yet been transformed. There's not many people you'll engage in Roman Floyd County who haven't heard of Jesus. But they are lost and they are wandering. They're not here on Sundays. They're not in any place on Sundays. Just drive through town at church time. You know traffic is at 4.30 and 5 o'clock and then trying to get places at 7.30? This place is off the chain. Sunday morning, it echoes. Why? Because they're not anywhere. It's okay to seek after the wandering, the God-fearing, as it is the hardened sinner who wants nothing to do with Jesus. This is very much the story of Three Rivers Church. Typical post-Christian persons who assume the faith without ever being born into the faith. Not really much different than Muslims who assume Islam. There are Christians wandering from the moorings of the faith due to a lack of sound communities, churches. We want the hardened sinner to repent and believe, but we also want to be attractive to those who are wandering. And thus we multiply, we make as many options as we can for that. You know, the great examples we have in the life of our church is a couple named John and Sheena Goldberg. Are you guys around long enough to remember John and Sheena? There's a few of you. This is a great story. This couple was hanging out, Sheena was hanging out uh, at the post office. And Michelle Hankins met her and invited her to come. And, Brian, and uh, John was a partner of Brian Lieberman downtown. And uh, John was a chiropractor. John was a Jew, Jew, Jewish, like ethnically a Jew. Sheena was an Irish Catholic. Interesting. 
So they started coming along with the other couple. The other couple didn't stick. This couple stuck. Asking questions, wanting to know, trying to understand. After a long period of time, one Sunday morning, we were still meeting at the Baptist Association over in Selenese. An amazing thing happened. I don't know, can you remember the last time somebody shouted in a worship service at Three Rivers Church? Exactly, right? We don't do that, right? Nobody shouts. We're worshiping the Lord, and John Goldberg, the Jewish man, shouts. And I love I love when people who aren't exposed to Christian language, Christianese, say things because they don't have Christianese language to say it in. They just say it in what they know. His words were, I went from going 20 to going 55. I, I reached the speed limit. In other words, I got it. It landed. It just hit. And from that moment on, that couple was never the same. Never the same. Dude moved down to Rock Mart and opened his own practice to start reaching people. They moved back to Ireland, she and his hometown of Limerick, where John would die of a heart attack. But you know where John's at? He's with the king. He's the king. He's the king. John was a bodybuilder, by the way. He's a guy you look at and never expect him to have a heart attack. Boom. Instantly gone to be with the Lord. The Irish Catholic and the Jew got saved at this fellowship. And today John is with Christ. And Rock Mart and Limerick, Ireland are better because of them. Don't overlook the unlikely. Don't overlook the unlikely. Don't overlook those that some might overlook. Because that's just the one when you preach the gospel, the Lord might open their heart to hear and understand. Notice what happened here. They're obviously preaching the gospel because it said the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So Paul didn't overlook it. Group of women, hey, why not? Hey, Jesus, Him crucified, He unpacked the gospel. And what happened? The Lord intervened and caused her to see and understand. Regeneration took place. And she responded to the gospel. Listen, three of us church, understand the Spirit regenerates. You don't have to make that stuff happen. You don't have to create crazy things, crazy experiences. Just preach the gospel. Stay in front with the good news. Because when you do, Jesus saves sinners. Live a culture of evangelism where everybody plays a part. Gain an eye for the regenerating work of the Spirit. That happens in this room, y'all. Listen, I know we don't do things the way some folks are used to seeing them happen, right? We get the altar call and people come down and fill out the card and shake the pastor's hand. Nothing wrong with that if you want to do that. But, but God saves people. You don't even know it. They walk out of here. Then they send emails and go, man, I understood this. Or, man, tell me about this. Or, meet with me over this. And I have a question about this. And, and they just saw because the gospel breaks open the darkness. And light shines in and they see. And it had nothing to do with us. It's the gospel. Somebody smiled at them when they walked in the door. Somebody shook their hand. Somebody greeted them, treated them nicely. They didn't feel shut out. They came in. They heard. They believed. We baptize them. You guys remember last baptism service, don't you? The dude pulls in and goes, Jesus told me to stop and get baptized. I just got saved. And we're like, what do we do with this guy? I guess we baptize him, right? That's what the gospel does. So be quick with the gospel. Recognize it is he who regenerates 
Be ready to watch for and receive the fruit. Guys, that's how we'll change Roman Floyd County. It's not an overnight thing. It is a lifetime. It's 13 years. It's going to be 13 more years. It may be 25, 30 more years. But it's a long-term investment in staying out front with the gospel, not overlooking those easy to overlook, and trusting the Lord to do what He promised He would do. Verse 16 to 24. You're going to encounter... And you already have encountered, and we have been encountering. By the way, we, we launched in 2003. We were here in 2001 building up and preparing. So we, we, we've been here longer than 13 years. We just went public in March of 2003. Okay? But we have, we are, and we will encounter spiritual warfare and external opposition for doing good. Kingdom work is hard. Notice what happens here in verse 16 to 24. And as we're going to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought much and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Good ministry. You think people would celebrate, right? We're serving the Lord. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the marketplace, before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. Notice who didn't get drugged in front of the magistrate. The two Gentiles. There's a little racism going on here. They're serving the Lord, all four of them. But they grab the two Jews and take them in front of the magistrate. Conflict, man. Not just the conflict that's clear, but that nuance of the conflict. You see that? Only two of them get put in prison. Where are the other two? Profiled. Right? Conflict. Spiritual conflict. Right? And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Anytime the gospel impedes the economic prosperity of evil, that evil's adherents will pitch a royal fit. Listen, Three Rivers, think not that our work locally won't cause that kind of response. I promise you, the work that we're doing in foster care and adoption at some point will have an economic impact negatively to some service providers. And I promise you, the evil one will pitch a royal fit. We've already tasted the covert work of the evil one, and it will only get more intense. Listen, these guys are just preaching the gospel. This demon girl, by the way, is telling the truth. But it's happening by a demonic spirit. And Paul cast the demon out. 
And what happens? They get slapped in the face for it. They do good ministry, do good work. And what's the response? Not celebration, persecution. Listen, know this. Know this, that if you engage in doing the work of the kingdom, the spiritual warfare is hard, the bruises are real, and the wounds will last a lifetime. But we have to remember, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But know this, the flesh and blood that will oppose us is influenced by and sent by the evil one. Also recognize this. You will do good out of good intentions. And fruitful ministry will get you slapped in the face. It just will happen. If you do the work of the kingdom, you'll be accused of things that will cut you to your heart. Notice verse 20 and 21. They did a good work. What is the accusation? Jews disturbing the city. Customs not lawful for us Romans to practice. All those accusations are false. But that's what they got for doing good ministry. Know this, if you do good ministry, you will receive accusations that will cut you to the heart. I can't tell you the times I hear externally, don't preach the gospel, don't preach the gospel, don't preach the gospel. And (laughs) do you understand how that cuts me to the heart? I'm like, are you kidding me? I live... Like, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm like, you obviously haven't been around. That's all we ever do. I always invite them, too, to come to A with me and to meet with the T and to meet with my friend at the mosque. And nobody ever wants to go do that. But uh, but you don't preach the gospel. And that just cuts me to the heart. I'm thinking, really? I, I die for that. I've nearly been kidnapped in A for that. Twice. Why, why, why would I not? Really? Listen, you're going to do good work and you get slapped in the face for it. That's just how it works because that's the opposition to the kingdom. You're going to be mistreated. But I want you to recognize verse 24 to 40. Jesus redeems those kind of circumstances that he puts us in. Now I worded that that way on purpose. It's not as though their mistreatment, Jesus kind of turned his face and was busy somewhere else. And things started happening. Jesus is going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm sorry, I did that. I'm like, what am I goodness, what am I going to do now? Jesus isn't freaking out over this. As a matter of fact, we could argue because of what we saw in verse 6 through 10, it is Jesus who put them there. Because Jesus has a good plan. He redeems the circumstances He puts you into. Just as the Holy Spirit led them to Philippi, He's also led them to the stocks. He led them into this season, this difficult circumstance that the gospel may go forward. Because notice what happens. They get put in prison and are they laying there complaining? They start praising the Lord. And what does God do? He sends an earthquake, opens up the prison. And guess what happens? They did what's right. They didn't escape. I ain't going to lie to you. If I'm in that prison, doors get open, I'm leaving. I'm out. Too bad for jailer boy. Not my problem. But Roman law would require this jailer to be executed, so he draws his sword to fall on it, because it would be better to not be tortured by my superiors 
tortured to death and it would be to follow my sword. So he's about to commit suicide. Paul and Silas did what was right and they stayed present and they said, hey, hey, do not kill yourself. We're all here. And he comes in and says, I love what do I need to do to be saved? Now, you've got to remember here, it's not like he doesn't know what happened. He's the jailer. He's heard the case. He knows these guys cast an evil spirit out of the slave girl. And they're put in prison for this. And he's got to be thinking, that's powerful. Never seen that before. They beat him with rods. I put them in the stocks and they're happy. That's weird. And then there's an earthquake and they don't escape. What else is he going to do? What do I need to do to get what you got? He preached the gospel to him and what does he do? Believes. He and his whole household. He takes them home, washes their wounds, feeds them breakfast. And then God's good and he causes the civil authorities to escort them out of the city, apologizing because they've beaten Roman citizens without a trial. God redeems the circumstances He puts you in. Listen, we're going to be in hard places. And God hasn't dropped the ball through River Search. He has a purpose. And he has a plan. And He's working it. He redeems it. He intends to save the lost. Bring the wanderer. Build His kingdom. Give praise, church, in the middle of hard times. I'm about to close with this. So I'm going to segue off to it. Be able to give praise, not just here on Sunday mornings, but in all things. Expect the Lord to be our deliverer. He can send earthquakes. He can give dreams. He can give visions. Always do what's right. And recognize our hard times are often gospel witness to those who didn't get to see the suffering of the cross. Here's our conclusion. Here's where we'll draw it up this morning. Be a church on both campuses. Seth, when you plan in Cartersville as a son of three rivers and whoever else is sitting here who God may raise up to plant, be a church that knows how to praise. And that'll be leading to a church who knows how to be a community of worshipers. And that will lead to powerful witness. God is teaching me something about praise. Praise and worship are two different things. Worship, according to Romans 11, 1-2, is the lifestyle of laying down your life as a living sacrifice. The Bible calls being a living sacrifice worship. The Bible commands us to praise the Lord. Praise is different from worship. And you know how we know this? Because we, we, we praise our children, right? We should. I do, I do a lot more scolding than I do praising, which is poor parenting, probably. Or maybe it's needed. I don't really know. I feel guilty about it most times. But when we praise our children, we say, good job, right? Yes. Right? Read the Psalms and how praise happens. Praise is recounting back to the Lord His excellencies, what He does well. That's not childish. That's commanded in Scripture. And have you ever noticed when we pray, it's real easy to default to asking the Lord for things, which is fine. That's part of praying. But praying also involves praise. Where we say, well done, King Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. The voice of the Lord causes the deer to give birth. And in your temple, all cry, 
glory. That's praise. That's recounting back to the king, his excellencies. In order to do that, you need to have seen those excellencies. You need to have tasted those excellencies. Which is why when we stand and we sing songs, they are songs of praise, recounting back to him glories. That will lead to a life of worship. Where you walk out of here and you lay your life down as a living sacrifice because he does all things well. And when he speaks, even deer give birth and doors open to Philippi and South Rome and elementary schools being given to us and nations converting and coming into the gospel because King Jesus, you do all things well. Three Rivers, I want you to be a praising church that lays your life down as an act of worship. We live life like this Acts thing that we're going to be studying in a few weeks. We will be a praising people who knows how to lay our lives down as an act of worship. And I promise you guys, that is attractive to Roman Floyd County. I'm going to tell you something. People don't know what to do with us. They do not know what to do with Three Rivers Church. It has blown the mold out of the water. Because, hey, look around you. This is a small church, and it does more than larger. The only, and, and listen, it's not us. It is Jesus building His kingdom. Amen. And listen, when you begin to see these things, and we continue to pursue the kingdom, and we pursue the king, and know the king, and worship the king, and obey the scriptures, and do what he commands, and fail, and go after it again, and refuse to give up, Jesus does supernatural things and He causes people to go, what do I need to do to be saved? What is it you're doing? Who are you? And you know it's an opportunity for the gospel. And then what you get to do is tell them about Jesus. And then you look, are they saved? Are you coming in? And then guess what? Bring them to church. Take them to Radical Life Group. Then we'll baptize them. And then we'll plant new churches and new campuses and just start all over again. Until the last person in the last people group believes and Jesus returns. So can I invite you this morning to give praise? Listen, by the way, praise is a discipline that is to be gained. It is overcoming your sinful tendencies. Because everything in you will want to move into a degree of disorder. That's built into the physical universe, isn't it? Right? Those physical laws, everything moves from a degree of order to disorder. That's part of the fall. Go watch my kids' bedrooms. They look good yesterday. By this afternoon, it's like... Do we... And you will sit here this morning, and the first thing that will happen after we pray and you stand to sing is, your mind will go somewhere else. Praise is a discipline. So I want to invite you to get your mind centered on Christ and to sing excellencies back to Him. That makes Jesus glorified and that will make us happy. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to do that in our midst. Glorify your great name and make us happy in you. We thank you for what you have done in these 13 full years. 
and launching into 14. We thank you for that. And we pray that you would continue it. That you would give us perseverance. You would give us strength. You would cause us to mount up on wings like eagles. To run and not be weary. To walk and not faint. We pray, Jesus, you would raise up more leaders. We pray that you would plant more churches, more campuses. Holy Spirit, witness to Christ and his glories. Make disciples. Help us to incorporate them. We pray you wouldn't let us be crushed when things don't work right. Give us strength to pound away at what we know to be obedient to today. Lord, I pray for a spirit of praise to rest on this fellowship this morning. I ask that you would cause praise to come from our lips today. And may that lead to a life of laying ourselves down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our worship. Would you do that this morning? We trust you do. And we want to bow the knee to you and your sovereign leadership of us. Thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. Give us ears to hear and hands and feet as we quit to obey.